The Law School of America Cover is a term used in the law of contracts to describe a remedy available to a buyer who has received an anticipatory repudiation of a contract for the receipt of goods. Under the Uniform Commercial Code, the buyer is permitted, but not required, to find another source of the same type of goods. The buyer may then file a lawsuit against the breaching seller to recover the difference, if any, between the cost of the goods offered and the cost of the goods actually purchased. The possibility of cover will prevent a party from being able to sue for specific performance, which is an equitable remedy that requires the buyer to have no adequate remedy at law. If the buyer is able to buy elsewhere and sue for the difference, that provides an adequate remedy. This prohibition does not apply, however, to the sale of unique goods such as original works of art, collectibles, real estate, and exclusive rights. Judge Richard Posner has suggested that the availability of cover allows for efficient breach, that is, that it encourages the most efficient allocation of resources by allowing a seller to breach a contract to sell goods to one buyer when another, more lucrative opportunity comes along. The seller may thus be able to realize a sufficiently increased profit to make more money even after repaying the difference to the original buyer. Therefore, no value is lost in the transaction because the original buyer is in the same position he would have been in but for the breach, and the seller is in a better position. An exclusion clause is a term in a contract that seeks to restrict the rights of the parties to the contract. Traditionally, the district courts have sought to limit the operation of exclusion clauses. In addition to numerous common law rules limiting their operation, in England and Wales Consumer Contracts Regulations 1999. The Unfair Contract Terms Act 1977 applies to all contracts, but the Unfair Terms in Consumer Contracts Regulations 1999 Unlike the common law rules, do differentiate between contracts between businesses and contracts between business and consumer, so the law seems to explicitly recognize the greater possibility of exploitation of the consumer by businesses. Types of Exclusion Clause There are various methods by which a party may seek to exclude or mitigate liability by use of a contractual term. True Exclusion Clause The clause recognizes a potential breach of contract, and then excuses liability for the breach. Alternatively, the clause is constructed in such a way it only includes reasonable care to perform duties on one of the parties. Limitation clause, the clause places a limit on the amount that can be claimed for a breach of contract, regardless of the actual loss. Time limitation, the clause states that an action for a claim must be commenced within a certain period of time or the cause of action becomes extinguished. Term must be incorporated. The courts have traditionally held that exclusion clauses only operate if they are actually part of the contract. There seem to be three methods of incorporation. Incorporation by signature, according to Lestrange v. Grokov, if the clause is written on a document which has been signed by all parties, then it is part of the contract. If a document has not been signed, any exception clause which it contains will only be incorporated if the party relying on the clause, the preference, can show that he took reasonable steps to bring it to the attention of the other party before the contract was made. In somewhat of a contradiction, that is not to say that the preference actually has to show that the other person read the clause or understood it, except where the clause is particularly unusual or onerous. It is not even necessary to show that the attention of that particular person was actually drawn to it. It is somewhat like the reasonable man test in tort, the party trying to rely on the clause needs to take reasonable steps to bring it to the attention of the reasonable person. Incorporation by notice, the general rule, as provided in Parker v. C. Railway, is that an exclusion clause will have been incorporated into the contract if the person relying on it took reasonable steps to draw it to the other party's attention. 
Thornton v. Shoe Lane parking seems to indicate that the wider the clause, the more the party relying on it will have had to have done to bring it to the other party's attention. The notice must be given before formation of the contract as illustrated in Ali v. Marlborough Court Limited. Incorporation by previous course of dealings, according to McCutcheon v. David McBrain Limited, terms, including exclusion clauses, may be incorporated into a contract if course of dealings between the parties were regular and consistent. What this means usually depends on the facts, however, the courts have indicated that a quality of bargaining power between the parties may be taken into account. Judicial control of exclusion clauses. Strict literal interpretation. For an exclusion clause to operate, it must cover the breach, assuming there actually is a breach of contract. If there is, then the type of liability arising is also important. Generally, there are two varieties of liability, strict liability, liability arising due to a state of affairs without the party at breach necessarily being at fault, and liability for negligence, liability arising due to fault. The courts have a tendency of requiring the party relying on the clause to have drafted it properly so that it exempts them from the liability arising, and if any ambiguity is present, the courts usually interpret it strictly against the party relying on the clause. As espoused in Darlington Futures Limited v. Delco Australia Proprietary Limited, the meaning of an exclusion clause is construed in its ordinary and natural meaning in the context. Although we construe the meaning much like any other ordinary clause in the contract, we need to examine the clause in light of the contract as a whole. Exclusion clauses should not be subject to a strained construction in order to reduce the ambit of their operation. The judge in R&B Customs Brokers Company Limited v. United Dominions Trust Limited refused to allow an exemption clause, of which did cover the nature of the implied term, on the grounds that it did not make specific and explicit reference to that term. Contra proferentem. If, after attempting to construe an exclusion clause or indeed any other contractual term, in accord with its ordinary and natural meaning of the words, there is still ambiguity then, if the clause was imposed by one party upon the other without negotiation, the contra proferentem rule applies. Essentially this means that the clause will be construed against the interests of the person who proposed its inclusion. That is to say, contra, against, the preference, proposer. In terms of negligence, the courts have taken the approach that it is unlikely that someone would enter into a contract that allows the other party to evade fault-based liability. As a result, if a party wishes to exempt his liability for negligence, he must make sure that the other parties understand that. The decision in Canada SS Lines Limited v. The King held that if the exclusion clauses mention negligence explicitly, then liability for negligence is excluded. If negligence is not mentioned, then liability for negligence is excluded only if the words used in the exclusion clause are wide enough to exclude liability for negligence. If there is any ambiguity, then the contra proferentem rule applies. If a claim on another basis can be made other than that of negligence, then it covers that basis instead. Anticipatory repudiation or anticipatory breach is a term in the law of contracts which describes a declaration by the promising party to a contract that he or she does not intend to live up to his or her obligations under the contract. It is an exception to the general rule that a contract may not be considered breached until the time for performance. Repudiation and Retraction a party is considered to have repudiated a contract when they evidence a lack of willingness or an inability to perform their contractual obligations. A repudiation of a contract by one party, the repudiating party, will entitle the other party, the aggrieved party, to elect to terminate the contract. 
This is based on objective intentions for example the repudiating party's words or conduct, this unwillingness or inability to perform a condition must deprive the aggrieved party of substantially the whole of the benefit that they would have received if the remaining obligations were performed under the contract. When such an event occurs, the performing party to the contract is excused from having to fulfill his or her obligations. However, the repudiation can be retracted by the promising party so long as there has been no material change in the position of the performing party in the interim. A retraction of the repudiation restores the performer's obligation to perform on the contract. Another rationale for the doctrine of repudiation is based on the breach of an implied term not rendering future performance futile, one essential promise which is implied in every contract is that neither party will without just cause repudiate his obligations under the contract, whether the time for performance has arrived or not. Repudiation of the contract by one party entitles the other party the right to terminate and claim for damages. However, it is possible that the repudiating party does not repudiate the entire contract but only certain obligations. In this case, the aggrieved party will only acquire the right to terminate if the repudiating party repudiates an obligation which, if breached, would grant a right to terminate. If the promising party's repudiation makes it impossible to fulfill its promise, then retraction is not possible and no act by the promising party can restore the performing party's obligations under the contract. For example, if A promises to give B a unique sculpture in exchange for B painting A's house, but A then sells the sculpture to C before B begins the job, this act by A constitutes an anticipatory repudiation which excuses B from performing. Once the sculpture has left A's possession, there is no way that A can fulfill the promise to give the sculpture to B. The question arises as to why any party would want to provide notice of anticipatory breach. The reason is that once the performing party is informed of the anticipatory breach, a duty is then created for the performing party to mitigate damages as a result of the breach. Another situation where anticipatory repudiation can occur is where a party has reason to believe the other party is not going to perform and requests reasonable assurances that the other party will perform. See UCC 26091. If such reasonable assurances are not given, it will constitute anticipatory repudiation, for which the performing party has various remedies, including termination. However, anticipatory repudiation only applies to a bilateral executory contract with non-performed duties on both sides. Additionally, the repudiation must be unequivocal. Measuring Damages According to UCC 2713-1, damages are to be measured at the time when the buyer learned of the breach. This is easy with a one-transaction sale, for example a widget at the purchaser's doorstep on X date, but when does the purchaser learn of the breach in an anticipatory repudiation? There are three main views. 1. When the buyer learns of the repudiation. 2. When the buyer learns of repudiation plus a commercially reasonable time. 1. UCC 2610A gives this indication, the purchaser would be waiting at your risk if the vendor determined the market price at the time you learn of repudiation. 2. UCC 2723-1 would indicate this, but it would be superfluous with 2-713 so 2-713 must have something other than the plain meaning. 3. 1. If an action based on anticipatory repudiation comes to 2-723 trial before the time for performance with respect to some or all of the goods, any damages based on market price, section UCC 2708 or section UCC 2713, shall be determined according to the price of such goods prevailing at the time when the aggrieved party learned of the repudiation. 4. This is the majority view, 
when repudiation is accepted or within a commercial reasonable time. 3. Time of performance, when the trail that occurs after the time of performance. 1. This is different from the plain reading for UCC 2713. The Law School of America. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America.